0: Welcome to another episode of the MMA Logcast. I'm your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on Twitter, at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over a big UFC 260 card, headlined by the baddest men on the planet. We got the heavyweight strap on the line with Stipe Miocic going out there and defending his belt for the second time against Francis Ngannou. If you guys remember, they were, they were originally, or they first fought at UFC 220, uh, and uh, Stipe Miocic was able to weather the early storm of Francis Ngannou and take home a decision victory uh and i'm very much looking forward to seeing how both guys have progressed and how this fight will go obviously you guys will learn what i uh studied and and how i'm breaking down this fight the further you listen into this podcast so uh just want to put that out there um just as always let's get into the betting recap because it is always important for you to go through your last event to fulfill and withstand your transparency moving forward with all your viewers and all your watchers and that's something that i always want to push to you guys is transparency so Last event, one of the better ones that we've had in the last little while, and it actually secures three straight winning events, and we're back into the green a little bit, but we still have a lot of work to do for 2021, but it's still good to go out there and cash a lock of the night and dog of the night play on the same card. So let's start off with the two losses first and foremost, which is at a 0.25 units to have on Marion Renault to win in round three against Macy Caisson at plus 1600. You know I love my round props. Have to take a little bit of a stab. Uh, That one whiffs. Also took 0.25 units at plus 360 for Renault to win inside the distance. That one whips as well. I'm completely okay with that. I had a firm stance on that fight. I felt like I was the right side, but it falls flat on its face, and I don't mind taking an L there, especially with taking shots in underdog uh, when when you feel like you have a good angle, and I felt like I had a really good angle, and that fight props to Macy Kyasan for coming back from everything that she's endured over the last year or so, and she put on a very good performance, and she continues to progress as a as a bright prospect in this division. But give me the correct opponent and I will fade her again, especially if if she's in this minus 250, minus 300 range once again uh let's go to our dog or yeah dog of the night play we had one unit on Derek brunson at plus 150 goes out there and catches for us pretty much exactly how we thought he would which is takedown 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 and kevin holland can't stop a takedown if it meant saving his life and even better it seemed like he didn't even give a fuck about being in there which was really even worse um if you guys actually saw the clip from khabib's live stream that he did of the main event you hear dana white after uh, Derek brunson completes a takedown with about a minute and a half left in the fight he goes i can't watch this anymore and that's more so i think uh, of frustration with Kevin Holland's approach in that fight, which was just, I'm not gonna do much. You know, I'm gonna try to land some strikes and and try to mess you up on the feet. But if you take me down, I I don't really have much off of my back. So you know, how much does this black belt really come into play? You know, it's, it's very sketchy. Derek Brunson was clearly slowing down, and that's not what I expected to happen. I expect Kevin Holland to be the one to be slowing down, but Derek Brunson started slowing down, but it looked like, um, you know, he was still able to go out there, complete the takedowns, and all, that's all that matters. That cash is 1.5 units for us. The dog and I play hits there. Then the lock and I play. Originally, it was Gregor Gillespie. That fight falls out, I believe, fight day. And we quickly pivot to uh, the under two and a half in the Montel Jackson-Jesse Strader fight. And that looked like it was cashing pretty much in the first 10 or 15 seconds where we see these guys really start to throw down pretty much immediately. So that's four units at minus 191. We cash for plus 2.09 units there. And all in all, we cash plus 3.09 units on the event for a 55% ROI. I'm happy with that. As long as I hit my lock and then I play, that's what I'm focused on the most. That's my main play. That's what you guys are here for. You guys are here to uh, hear my best spot at the most reasonable prices. And I felt like I did that exactly. That's at least for the last two out of three events, right? Uh, The second last one, we had the the no contest with Leon Edwards, obviously. But before that, we hit uh, Sean Brady at four units at minus 196. We get the same thing here, four units at minus 191. And it hits for us. So we got three straight winning weeks um very happy with the results you know for those of you that follow even though i'm down on the year uh picks will now only be behind the patreon wall until him until i hit my next losing event so if you guys want to see what the pick is for this weekend you guys are gonna to have to sign up to the patreon it's only five bucks a month it's a great way to support your boy uh again i'm taking this thing full time starting this week this friday is my last day of work and i can't wait to fucking take this thing full time so i can start providing you guys with bellator lfa and even just more Uh, content and and looking further down the road rather than just what's coming up uh, in this current week and that's what I'm looking forward to most is getting ahead of schedule and getting these lines that might not be uh, available once fight time uh, or fight week approaches and that's the benefits that the guys, the uh, guys on the Patreon actually get um and i can't wait to implement it i'm very very excited so shout out to everybody on the patreon with that said let's do the patreon pug real quick again all the perks are in the description below you can see the link in the description below as well we have a great discord community we get a best bets and props article that drops every wednesday or thursday of fight week um you know early access to the breakdowns and not to mention everything that i'm doing full time now there's going to be a bunch more perks on there too uh not to mention the pay-per-view parlay for the patreons uh for the patrons that's actually dropping this week as well uh where all the patrons vote on their four best spots for the upcoming card i put 50 bucks on or at least five percent of my patreon take home and uh if it hits i send the winnings to the you know a random winner for whoever helped vote for that parlay so uh that's another great perk that i have on the patreon Shout out to the Patreon. You guys are amazing. We're at like 225 members right now. I'm going to keep that rolling, keep that moving. And as long as this win streak keeps going on for the Lock and I plays, I know that community is going to continue to grow on a week to week basis. And that's my goal. And that's what I'm hoping to do. You know, we're, we're starting to shake the rust off a little bit. I'm down on the year still, but we're going to be making moves. And I feel uh, very good about the momentum that I've been able to capture over the last couple of weeks. Next up, CoolBet. CoolBet.com. Make sure you guys check them out. They are a great bookie, mainly out of Canada, some Southern American countries, as well as uh, a bunch of countries over there in Scandinavia. But they are a great bookie. If you guys use promo code MMALOTN2, you guys will get uh, a, a match bonus on your initial deposit up to $200. bucks. So 100% match you all the way up to $200. So you put in $200, bucks, they will match you another 200 bucks. You have 400 bucks to play with right off the bat. There is a six times rollover, but there's always a rollover no matter what website you're signing up with and no matter what bonus that you take six times is normally on the lower side i normally see like 10 to 15 time rollover so this is a solid spot so again coolbet.com make sure you guys use promo code mmalotn number two and it will give you guys uh that bonus again it's two not the word two the number two uh and then also a shout out to fanatics fantasy mma a great fantasy mma app where you're able to go out there and uh, make your picks on this app and go up against your friends, go up against the leaderboard, whatever it is. It's a great way to showcase your picks. They have a very sleek and cool looking layout. Not only do they do UFC, they do 1FC, they do um, Bellator, they do PFL, they do ACA, I believe if, not, if I'm not mistaken. They do KSW as well. So it's a great app to really uh, challenge your friends to like uh, fantasy stuff. Uh, there's different approaches. You can take the Vegas odds or you can take just a, a straight pick them type of contest. I do have my own contest as well. If you guys check in the description below you guys can join that contest and you guys can go head to head with me as well and see how you do on a week to week basis so once again make sure you guys take out check out fanatics fantasy mma it's a wonderful app they're still in their beta mode and they're very engaging in terms of the customers in terms of listening to other uh you know listen to feedback and listening to things that they should take out uh they should add or they should change uh they're very much in a developmental stage right now but it's a very very sleek app and uh, they're very uh, responsive to whatever their uh, clientele actually tells them. So make sure you guys check it out. It's a free app. Go check it out. The link is in the the description below. It's a very, very fun app, and I hope to challenge you this weekend for UFC 260. All right, let's get into the breakdowns. I don't want to waste your time any further. Again, uh, I do want to remind you guys, I I should have said it right off the top here, but um, there's going to be two versions of the podcast that comes out every week. We have this one that should drop every Monday of Fight Week starting in April, and then on Tuesdays, 8 p.m eastern every tuesday 8 p.m eastern of fight week you guys will have an mma Lockcast live episode that's an episode where uh you guys are able to get my picks or sorry that, that that's where i'm gonna be doing pretty much the same breakdown that i'm doing for you guys right here but obviously not as detailed as the ones that are in this podcast this podcast is the ones where i do my research and then i record the breakdown right away so everything's fresh in my mind Whereas the live episodes that I'll be doing every Tuesday, it'll be a little bit more of a general breakdown and I won't have as much in-depth knowledge or breakdown as I do in the podcast as you find in, in this podcast, I should say. So make sure you guys check out the Tuesday live streams as well. If you guys are free at 8 p.m. Eastern, that's where you guys can find the live uh, stream. You guys can be lively in the chat. I always take the comments, questions and uh, comments, all of that into consideration. And I try to morph it into the, the live stream as well. It's a very fun show. I've done it two weeks in a row now. We've had a lot of fun on there. Make sure you guys check it out. 8 p.m. Eastern. That's the new home for you guys. Every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, of Fight Week, MMA cast Live. That's what we're doing. All right. No more gibber driving. Let's get into the podcast. Hope you guys appreciate uh, enjoy the breakdowns. Make sure you guys like and subscribe if you haven't already. Enjoy the breakdowns and let's make some money this weekend. Marc-Andre Barrio versus Abu Azatar. We got minus 130 on a, a Barrio and plus 110 on Azatar. Let's start off on the Barrio side of things. Who? Righted his wrong in terms of three straight losses that he incurred. One coming into the UFC against Andrew Sanchez, Christoph Jocko, and Junyoung Park. And then uh, he did beat uh, Oscar Piajota uh, via TKO at the ending of that second round. Unfortunately, he gets popped by Usada, um, accepts the suspension, obviously, and comes back, uh, or, or sorry, unfortunately, gets a, a no contest in his last fight. So he's really hoping to get his hand raised and actually get this uh, victory to stick uh, coming into this scrap against Abu now barrio is a guy that i've kind of been very familiar with for a long time i used to watch him on the amateur scene when we used to go out when I was with my gym up here in Toronto, we used to go over to Montreal and you know the the, the promotion that I used to fight for, uh, he was one of the guys that was always on the uh, uh, on the on the fight card. And then he turned pro, started fighting for TKO, became a double champ, beat some of the guys from our gym as well, and he showed a lot of potential. Then he comes to the UFC and goes on a three fight skid. But with that said, you know three very tough fights. We're talking about uh, Andrew Sanchez, who great grappler, and it truly came down to that third round where we saw Sanchez have a lot of success with grappling Barrio slowing down the fight and pretty much controlling them for the majority of it and coming away with the decision victory and then Jotko as well great striker held his distance as well had some good clinch positions as well too uh and barrio couldn't get his game going there even in the junior park fight right park throws with a lot of heat had some good uh, wrestling success of his own uh but uh you know it was park that came out on the winning end there but even in that fight and in the the fight, we do see glimpses of, 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 you know, solid things from Barrio, which is his pace. He really goes out there and just sticks in his opponent's face, just throwing strikes out there, not letting them breathe, not really giving them any space to get their own game going. And I think that's going to be very important here against a guy like Abu, who seems like, you know, he is almost too po- power reliant. And even if he goes out there and gets a couple takedowns, he's not the most devastating guy from on top either. I think that Bar could truly, uh, you know, uh, stuff whatever takedowns that are coming his way from Abu. But I think he might even be the one that goes out there and goes for his own takedowns. Now, uh, Barrio recently just went down to Sanford MMA and it seems like he's getting very good training down there, not to mention obviously working with Henry Hooft himself, but he has a lot of good training partners uh, that can truly get him ready for an, uh, for an opponent like this. Uh, he has great all-around game, right? He has great striking, great takedowns, solid top control, but it's really his pressure that sets him apart from the rest of his competition. And I feel like this is a great spot for him to go out there and really push the pressure and really start to gas and, and wear on the gas tank of uh of abu abu was 35 at this point in time coming off a use out suspension and we haven't seen him in the cage for a long time now i do want to pull up the last time we actually saw him in the cage but we did see him go out there and lose to uh or sorry he did beat um vitor miranda who mainly known as a kickboxer is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu but had some success of his own in that fight yeah the last time we saw him was uh july of 2018 so we're coming up on three years since we've even seen him in the cage. Uh, he was scheduled a couple times against Galicia DiCarico and Joaquin Buckley, but he was uh, suspended by USADA at the time. Um, yeah, it, it seems like he's going to be able to crack under the pressure here. And Barrio should really be able to put it on him. It seems like he was struggling a little bit with uh, Miranda's style and even, you know, getting getting taken down by him. But he did good a, do a good job of kind of reversing those positions. Whereas I feel like Barrio will be much tougher to kind of reverse and get off, uh, off of him. But I think it's truly going to come. Uh, the success for Barrio will come from the striking and the pressure that he's going to put on him from the get-go. I like the approach that uh, Barrio brings to his game just because he just crowds his opponents and really doesn't let them get their game going. Obviously, he wasn't successful in doing it in his first three UFC fights, but Abu doesn't really strike me as a guy that has crazy knockout pressure because that would obviously, you know, really derail the pressure of Barrio. But Barrio is going to be, putting, you know, putting strikes together, putting combinations together, uh, you know, mixing in some clinch work, a couple takedowns, and I think by, like, second... You know, mid-second round, we're going to see uh, Abu really start to slow down. So I think that uh, a third round finish could be possible here for Barryu, and that will be something that I'll be looking at. But I'll ultimately be taking him to win this fight via decision as I do think that's his best path to victory here. Play this fight as safe as possible, continue to put the pressure on him, stay away from the big shots, get this fight to the ground as much as possible. And even if you don't aren't able to keep him down, the amount of energy this guy is going to continue to exert, one, trying to get back to his feet and you know, two, dealing with the pressure from on top, um, it's really going to start to gas him. And the fact that he hasn't been in the cage for as long as, it, as he has, I think it's really going to cause him some issues to get his game going. So uh, I do like Barrio here. kind of surprised that the line is as, as close as it is. I think you're getting some solid value even at this minus 130 spot. But I do think this, this is a great stylistic matchup for Barrio. And we'll see him go out there and actually get his first successful uh, victory inside the cage. Hopefully he doesn't pop for anything after this. But he should get his uh, hand race here. I'll say by third round TKO. But don't be surprised if Abu actually survives. And we see this fight go to the judges' scorecards, but I will take Barrio to win this fight via pressure, via all-around MMA game, and the fact that Abu, in my opinion, is just not that great of a fighter. So I'll go with Barrio to win this fight via third-round TKO. Omar Morales versus Shane Young. We got minus one eighty-five on the Venezuelan, and we got plus one sixty on Shane Young. Let's start off on the Omar Morales side, or at least the first note that I do want to get off the bat right right away is. Uh, the fact that this fight is still tentative. Uh, it did get cancelled, per se, uh, a couple days ago, uh, right after Alexander Volkanovsky actually was pulled from this card as well. But we are getting reports that this fight put, could potentially still happen. And I did want to get the breakdown of it because I feel very strongly on one side about it. So I do want to get the breakdown because I could potentially have a bet on this fight as well. So um, let's start off on the Omar Morales side, minus 185 favorite. Coming off a loss to Giga Chikaze last time around where he was a minus 185 favorite similar situations same odds but we do get a much less threatening opponent in shane young for omar morales to go out there and 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 you know potentially get a victory over uh he did have two fight two wins in the ufc uh before uh running into giga chikaji to succumb to his first loss i knock uh, or sorry he goes to a decision with uh, dong young ma and then also gabriel benitez in a fight that was very 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 entertaining both guys swinging a lot of leather a lot of guys you know uh Really throwing the best heat at each other, and there's a, a very good technical aspect to that fight with you know the southpaw approach of Gabriel Benitez, and then obviously the heavy striking uh, acumen of one Omar Morales. Now I feel like that's the toughest fight. Well, actually, the Giga Chikadze fight is obviously the toughest fight for Omar Morales, where a lot of people were overlooking the the striking uh, advantage that Giga actually had in that fight. You know, Omar looks very intimidating with his big muscles and the the amount of veracity that he throws with, uh, but if uh, we actually looked at the fight a lot closer, Giga was the much better um, technical striker, and I'm not sure a lot of people really took that into consideration, myself included. I didn't bet Omar in that spot, but I didn't understand why there was a huge love for Omar in that spot, but I did not have as much uh, confidence in Giga in that spot, so I do want to give a, a shout-out to my guy, Scott Shelva, who I believe was the only guy on Giga in that in that fight and it paid off for him you know that plus 160 uh, underdog was a really good spot given the striking differences that we had in that fight right off the bat you see giga jikadzu go out there and attack the lead calf of omar and it kind of just sets the tone for the fight Where you see uh, Omar kind of whiffing on a lot of shots and Giga really landing the better shots and then eventually taking over later in this fight. Close to getting a 10-8 in that third round where he was able to drop him and nearly finish him. Uh, But Omar was really struggling with trying to get the range there and trying to get past the kicking game and the, the, the southpaw offering from one uh giga chikadze but in the other fights you know with the benitez and ma and even the park fight which i was kind of surprised to see him coming into that fight as a plus 275 underdog but he goes in there and re- uh you know rips up the lead leg of park and then eventually finishes him in the second round uh with dong yama you know just completely putting the pace on him uh even taking top control whenever the uh the situation presented itself i uh, did a good job controlling mine just landing enough damage to not get stood up and then obviously grinding out those rounds and then what Benitez just doing such good work on the on the feet really just you could see the the confidence just glowing off of him especially with every kick that he was landing and every punch that he was landing clean as well um and then he just couldn't get it going in the giga fight also in that fight was his first fight down at 145 pounds but i don't believe that we truly saw that have a, a real effect on him you know, if anything, we would see it have an effect on him in, his, in terms of his cardio. I thought his cardio was fine. It, it was just a stylistic matchup going up against a guy of, uh, against a guy like uh, uh, Giga Chikazu who's highly uh, versed or well-versed in that uh, striking and, and kickboxing realm, and he just could not get his game going there. Against Shane Young here, though, Shane Young seems like a guy that, when things are going his way, he looks amazing, right? Like the Rolando D fight and the Austin Arnett fight, both... St- different fights let's start off with the D one where he was uh you know pretty much the the guy from the get-go that was setting the pace setting the pressure pushing forward and really letting uh D pay and then he just lands his beautiful step and elbow that drops D and finishes him there and the Austin Arnett fight like First round, he's kind of losing that fight up up until the point that uh, he lands a good flurry and kind of just rocks and wobbles Austin Arnett. It seemed like Austin was just doing that thing where he's just picking him apart from the outside, but no real damage or no real pop on his shots. And then whenever Shane Young landed, that's where the damaging shots were coming from. And even that, I I don't want to say like heavily damaging. It was just really causing a, a reaction out of Austin, which I think was really swaying the judges in that fight. Uh, and then obviously the last second of the fight you see Shane Young drop him when they go uh, Rock'em Sock'em Robots and you can see the visible, uh, you know, the, um, frustration from Austin Arnett right after that knowing that he gave away the fight just in that last little bit. But then again, he did lose those first two rounds as well. Um, and then in the Ladovit klein fight you see uh, Klein kind of start pushing the pressure and really start uh, wearing on Shane Young and then eventually finishing him with a head kick. Uh, even the Alexander Volkanovski fight, right? He didn't let Shane Young get his game off and get him going, which is why he was able to to kind of push him up and, and beat him the way that he did. I feel that Omar Morales is going to fall into the Ladovic Klein and the Alexander Volkanovski boat, which is moving forward, landing the big shots, not really letting Shane Young let his game go. And uh, that will kind of keep Shane Young in a bit of a shell. And that will just let Omar to continue to let his game going. You know, we have a three-inch height advantage in the favor of Omar, as well as a one-inch reach advantage. But I think it's truly going to come down to the veracity of the strikes and the power that uh, Shane Young is going to feel on the, from the Omar Morales side. Omar is obviously a, a Sanford MMA guy and his diehard guy there, always training with Henry Hoof, and he's been in the gym too much for you know this since his uh, giga Chikadzi fight it seems like but um this seems like a great stylistic matchup for him to go out there and and kinda of just tear or, or chop down uh Shane Young. I think Shane Young is gonna be kind of baffled with trying to get his strikes going. Whenever he tries to close the distance, I think he's gonna feel the heat off of Omar Morales' strikes and that's really gonna to start to play in his head and really start to, you know, drag him back in terms of the type of uh volume and output that he's gonna be putting out. Again, in fights where he's the one kinda of leading the dance and kinda of is the one that's uh you know, seems like he has the better strike striking and, and more damaging strikes, then he gets his game going but it's going to be tough to see him you know go up against a guy in Omar Morales who just doesn't fold right and Giga Chikadze was the closest to to knocking him out and obviously was the only one to ever beat him but uh you know it took a lot to to kind of chop him down and even with the calf kicks that he was implementing at the starting of the fight he just couldn't really you know uh continue to chop that leg he was going for all, all different strikes and Omar was pretty much just walking through all of it uh, and, and taking the strikes I don't see Shane Young Picking him apart the way that Giga was successful in doing so, I think he's going to, you know, start to succumb to the kicks, start to succumb to the pressure and the the punches of Morales. And I wouldn't even be surprised if I see Morales go out there and get a knockout finish either. So I do like Morales. I'll take him by second round KO he's probably like my strongest lean in this uh, on this card too this card's very very tough to pick and there's a lot of close fights even some odds are just a little bit too out of whack but I do think that Morales is the is the safest spot here I think that we'll see him go out there and beat Shane Young at his own game uh push the pressure uh stay in his face land the big shots land the bigger kicks even makes a takedown there if he wants to I feel like he'll be the stronger guy on top and he should be able to keep Shane Young down as well so um you know Morales is 35 that's something to keep an eye on but he only has 11 fights in his career doesn't really look like he's slowing down again he did he is coming off of his first ever loss in his career but he still does have a you know I still think he has a couple good years to go out there and beat guys and I think that Shane Young is definitely one of those guys that he could go out there and kind of outstrike for over 15 minutes but I actually think that he knocks him out uh within two rounds here so I'll go Omar and I'll go with second round KO. Mihal Oleg Shajak versus Modestus Bukowskis. We got minus 150 on Oleg Shajak and plus 130 on Bukowskis. Let's start off on the Oleg Shajak side of things. We just don't seem to see all that often, right? I think it's only been five fights that he's added in the UFC. Obviously, he goes out there and springs a huge upset over Khalil Roundtree as a plus 300 dog. Unfortunately, that fight gets changed to a no contest as Oleg Shajak pops for some sort of steroid, comes back, Finishes Gian Vellante in the first round, finishes uh, Gadzim Murad in the first round, and then goes out there and puts a hell of a beating on Ovin St. Pru in that first round, and then in that second round, it seems like that uh, uh, OSP was comfortable in there, you know, he needed to get knocked around a couple times to start uh, getting his game going, and then once he got Oleg Shejak down, uh, it was just one-way traffic, then he eventually locked up that Von Pru choke and got the tap there. Similar thing in the Jimmy Crute fight. We see Jimmy Crute. Well, he didn't have to endure the first round, endure the first round that Owens did. But we saw him go out there right away and start to get this, try to get this fight to the ground. Uh, landed a bunch of takedowns. Was able to, you know, finally get um Oleg Shayjuk down after um after hitting with a couple shots. Uh, really thinking that, uh, you know, getting Michal to think that, okay, maybe he's giving up on the takedowns now that he's striking. And then little does he know that uh, Jimmy Crute was just setting up a beautiful double leg, which he eventually completed and then uh, eventually finished with the Kimura. Uh, Beautiful finish for Jimmy Crute in that fight. It's funny that both of these guys are coming off of losses to Jimmy Crute via finish. Uh, But we really saw the holes in Michal's games in the last two fights, which is takedown defense doesn't look the greatest. Now he needs to go out there and, you know, uh, start working on his strength and conditioning. Something that he said that he was doing going into the Jimmy Crude fight, uh, but I didn't really get to showcase that much. So he, I hope he was living in the wrestling room because uh, if fighters see that big of a glaring uh, flaw in your game, they're gonna go out there and try to implement that. Especially if they're not technically or normally a, a grappler or somebody that looks to go out there and look for a submission or anything like that. So uh that's a game of michael that's a part of michael's game that i really want to see short up before i'm willing to go out there and put some money on the guy but i do think he wins this fight um you know what is michael's game the guy likes to pretty much dig to the body as much as possible with his striking stay in your face pressure in your face forever moving always staying on the uh you know never really staying still just staying in your face and throwing shots out there uh he rocked osp a bunch of times in that first round um and I think he was expecting to get o- OSP out of there in the first round but he just was not successful in doing so but he just does such a good job of mixing up from the body to the head like he just keeps it going nonstop, and it's it's really beautiful to see really as a just as a boxer right he doesn't really kick the guy's more of a more of his damage comes from his hands um Modesto Spakowskis, on the other hand he's going to have a three inch height advantage as well as a four inch reach advantage as well as a, a striking game that he brings into this however he does have a purple belt that he received December of 2019. And it feels like if if, if his coaches are smart enough that he's gonna use that strength, he's gonna use that power to drag this fight to the ground and implement that jujitsu right away. You know, it's it's clear as day that Michal definitely struggles off the ground off of his back and he just, you know, his guard like passing his guard is super, super easy. And uh, you know, you may be as great on the feet as you are, as Oleg Shejuk is. But like, if you have nothing to offer off of your back, then, you know, you're never really going to be a champion. You're never really going to be a top 10 type of guy. And that seems like a, a path to victory that Modestus could, could take. But historically speaking, we don't really see it. And Jimmy Crute, you know, albeit he did get Oleg Shejuk down and submit him the way that he did, he really had to work for those takedowns. So is a guy like Modestus Bukowski is going to be able to get him down? Uh, with ease that's a question mark to me I'm not 100% sure again we know he's a purple belt so he's definitely been working his jiu-jitsu so maybe that's something that he brings into this game but historically speaking he's a striker likes to go out there use his big kicks use his range keep you on the outside and more often than not he's losing his fights up until the point he knocks his opponent out like if you watch the, the Nielsen fight and the Nosiglia fight, like all these fights are fights that he's kind of down in and getting taken down and, and his opponents are having a lot of success, but then he just gets back to his feet and then he knocks him out either with Travis Brown style elbows or just, you know, just, just great striking or, or the solid power that he has. So those are question marks. In terms of how modestus wants to approach this fight because if he wants to go in the striking realm i think he's going to be a little bit overwhelmed mihal again likes to stay in your face i think he's going to crowd but uh and he's going to keep him up against the cage or at least keep him on the on the warning track and just continuously come forward rip the body go to the head again he's going to have to deal with a three-inch height disadvantage uh, here so i think ripping the body is going to be really really big for him and then obviously landing on that chin will be big for him too uh Bukowskis does seem a little bit shinny. He does get hit a lot. Uh, he does not react well to most of his shots. And then obviously in his last fight against Jimmy Crew he gets knocked the fuck out. Um, I think that uh, Mikhail, if he can kind of stop takedowns, if that's what Modestus brings to the cage, I think that uh, Modestus is going to be in a ton of trouble. So I like uh, Oleg Shajak here. I think he'll finish him in the first or second round. Uh, but I, I need to see those things short from him first. So I'm hoping that Bukowskis goes out there, tries to take this fight to the ground, and we see an improved grappling game from Oleg Shejak And then I'd be willing to invest in uh, backing this guy again. But, uh, you know, I like everything about him on the feet. He, he brings such a great style. His... his, his uh, Chen and durability seem to be on point so even if he gets hit a little bit he seems like he can continue to chug forward and dig big shots to the body and then bring it up to the head uh, and that's going to be very important in this fight against Bukowskis. So if Bukowskis gets to the, this to the ground it may not be one and done, right? He might have to work for it a little bit more, and we might see some improvements from Oleg Shejak, who again is only 26 years old. But Kouskis is actually the older one in this fight, even though that Mihal has the uh, UFC experience. Uh, Mihal has, this will be his 19th fight compared to the 15th fight for Modestus. Um, but again, uh, Mihal, you got to give him the benefit of the doubt that he's going to go out there and try to make as many improvements as he can. And one of those improvements is hopefully in the grappling room. Because if he truly rounds that part of his game out, I think this guy could be an absolute powerhouse in this 205 pound division. I'd actually like him to go down to 185, considering that he's such a you know, a smaller guy at 205 pounds. But I think that's probably a part of his game be the smaller guy, be the faster guy, use his punches, try to use his movement as much as possible. But it's not really worked out for him uh, too, too well in his last two fights. However, I still think that he takes this fight. I think that Bukowski might struggle to get him down. And even then, I just don't know if he's uh, if the purple belt will do it for him here. Uh, so I do think that Oleg Shejcik wins this fight, probably first or second round KO. Uh, but again, I want to see some improvements before I'm uh, going out there and laying some money on my guy, Lord Mihal. So I'll go Mihal. Via second round KO, Abubakar Nurmagomedov versus Jared Gooden. We got minus two thirty five on Nurmagomedov and plus one ninety five on Jared Gooden. Let's start off on the Abubakar side here. Who's coming off a loss in his UFC debut to David Zavada, where he got tapped out via I believe it was a triangle choke, and we just saw his a little bit of laziness and lackadaisical. Uh, approach in that guard of David Zavada and that's where we saw David really take advantage of it and uh you know lock up that that choke uh before that coming over from the PFL where he went to a draw with UFC veteran Bo- Boyan Velichkovich and that's another fight where we see back and forth grappling uh and, and well the main thing that I'm trying to get to here is that I'm just not overly impressed with the Abubakar's ability to you know one get fights down and once he gets them down holding his opponents down He's definitely not like his cousin, uh, Habib in terms of that. But they obviously do have the same approach, which is trying to get the fight down ASAP and try to either lock up a submission or just grind up their opponents from on top. However, I'm just not a big fan of how little he passes guard. More often than not, he's just staying in the guard. I've seen numerous occasions where uh, the referee in the matchup actually stands them up due to inactivity. Right, He, d- he just doesn't do enough from the bottom and the even the funniest part is like four fights ago he comes in as a minus minus 1350 50 favorite against Pavel Kush and uh gets gets choked out like the, there's definitely levels between Khabib and Abubakar and i think if people just see the Nermaga last name they're just going to be they're just going to be uh, d- duped uh, i think they're going to be uh, tricked and uh, i think he has that that uh, Nurmagomedov tax on his name which is why he's a minus 235 favorite here like, even after he lost to Pavel, he comes in as a minus 500 favorite. Obviously, wins that fight. Comes in against Boyan Velichkovic, minus 260 favorite, goes to a draw. Uh, minus 265 favorite against David Zvada, loses that fight. He has f- three losses on his, uh, on his record, and they're just not the most impressive, right? Like, he's just going out there and, and, uh, it- obviously taking these guys down and having some good success but the fights are close his his cardio doesn't look the greatest it feels like if uh, he's not able to keep jared down here he, he could possibly get knocked out um you know i'm not willing to lay the minus 235 on this guy and this is actually the first fight that i taped for this card as i thought that i was gonna lay lay that chalk and and take him as my locker than i play but after running the tape it's just there's nothing that i truly see here that could um that makes me want to go out there and bet him Like, he's going to be at a slight height and reach disadvantage here against Jared Gooden. 5-inch reach advantage for Gooden, as well as a 1- or 2-inch height advantage. And I think that's going to be really prevalent once we see them in the cage. And that might make it a little bit harder for Abubakar to get this fight to the ground and truly get comfortable. He leaves a lot to be desired when it comes to the striking round, doing the bare minimum required to try to get the fights to the ground. But then, again, once he gets the fights to the ground, it's hard for him to truly go out there and, and establish any type of dominance. Jared Gooden again. I I didn't think the hi, high uh, the highest of him. But when you go back and watch this fight with like um, uh, Mike Graves, a, a guy former UFC veteran, I believe he won the Ultimate Fighter, or at least just came up short. But that was a five round fight where. You know graves was looking to get the fight to the ground as often as possible and good did a good job of nullifying the amount of uh pressure and and, and top control that uh, graves is actually getting you know he's getting back to his feet relatively easily and then laying some good shot or damage from him on top but obviously loses that fight via decision but uh you know then you see fights like the marcel stamps fight which was only four fights ago where you know it looks like he's gassed almost but luckily for him it looks like his opponent is even more gassed but he's still getting him down Gooden does a good job of getting right back to his feet in those instances and then locks up a, a standing guillotine choke for against a guy that looks like he probably was about to have a heart attack, but it left a lot to be desired. Then he goes out there and beats guys who just, you know, clearly not uh, like just regional level uh, scrubs, to be honest. I'll give a little bit of a, um, respect to that Trent McCowan guy, but that Jay Jackson guy was like three and 13. I think that was more so a, um, uh, an effort on Jared Gooden's part to stay active. So I'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Um, but the, then he gets his UFC debut against Alan Joban and gets outstruck in that fight, right? Great fight. Both guys getting rocked in, uh, in several instances in that fight. Uh, but we saw Joban really get the better of him in that in those exchanges. But I think that if Gooden hit Oubakar with some of those shots, I don't know if uh, Gamedov would continue chugging and continue moving forward. So there's a lot of question marks on this fight. I'm not willing to pay the chalk on Obubakar, but I'm not the most sold on Jared Gooden even at plus 195. I did see that his KO line is at plus 650, which is a little bit intriguing and worth a little bit of a sprinkle. But I do think that we see Nurmagomedov continue to get this fight to the ground and uh, get it to the ground enough and nullify the KO uh, of Gooden and possibly even suck the energy out of Gooden in terms of his cardio, given the type of fight that it's going to be. You know, we did see him go a hard three rounds against Joe Ben, but that was mainly in the striking realm. Mixing a little bit of grappling here, and we'll see what it looks like um, for Gooden. So, uh, again, very slight lean here for Bubakar. I think, if anything, there might be some value on Gooden, uh, especially value on his KO line, if that's something that you're looking to pursue. Um, but that's the only thing that I could potentially uh, pick here. So uh, I'll go with Abubakar to win by decision. Not the most confident. Again, it's pertinent that he gets this fight to the ground. Uh, and it's pertinent that he passes guard, does a successful job of like going out there and and and, and controlling Gooden on the ground, not letting him back, get back to his feet. Because the more he gets back to his feet, the more it's going to uh, gas out Abubakar and the KO becomes even more live. A spot that might be a good idea, now that I'm thinking about it, uh, is maybe even the under. Like, I know Abubakar is mainly, like, a, um, a decision-type guy, but a, a submission could potentially open itself here. Um, and then, obviously, you, you get saved on the other side with a Jared Gooden and his knockout power. We get plus 155 on the under 2.5. Again, nice, but I feel like there are some other plus money unders on this card that could be taken advantage of even more efficiently here. So... Uh, again, I'll go Abubakar. Not the most confidence here, uh, so don't parlay him because he could absolutely uh, burn you really hard here. But I'll take him to win this fight via decision. Jessica Penney versus Hannah Goldie. We got plus 100 on Jessica Penney and minus 120 on 24-karat Goldie. Let's start off on the Jessica Penney side of things, who we haven't seen in a long time. She's fought, uh, the last time she stepped into the cage, she fought Jamie Taylor in a fight where uh, she did lose that fight via decision, pretty much just getting outstruck from the outside uh, by uh, one De- danielle taylor and that was actually a three fight losing streak or capped off a three fight losing streak for jessica penne in terms of the last time we did actually see her in the cage april of 2017 so we're talking about close to four years ago now where she was really going out there and not having the best performances and it's weird to think that her three fight losing streak includes her titled uh shot where she actually went out there and lost to juani uh, and Jacek, getting uh tko'd on the feet uh in the third round in that fight I believe that was the first ever title defense for Ioana Janjacek after she had beaten Carla Esparza earlier that year to capture the title after that she goes out there and fights Jessica Andraj and gets finished in the second round and I'm sure everybody saw that one coming and then the Danielle Taylor fight again just kind of getting picked apart uh, even though she had the di- the distance uh, control there, I think she was really struggling with the speed that was coming in and out uh, on the Danielle Taylor side, and we saw her uh, lose that fight. She was scheduled to fight Jody Escabel on two separate occasions. That fight, those fights fall apart, and it comes down to the fact that she has some USADA violation that she uh, she was dealing with. Uh, a very unfortunate situation. It was well documented inside the media as well. And uh, she was really struggling to get her uh, fight career back. And thankfully, she here she is coming back after a four-year hiatus. And I think this is a very good spot for her to go out there and uh, get back on the winning track. It would be her first win since she had beaten uh, Random Marcos on the Ultimate Fighter uh, finale way back in 2014, December of 2014. So we're coming up on... Uh, well, just under six and a half years since she has actually gotten her hand raised in the cage and it's funny because coming from the ultimate fighter though she was a very highly touted prospect uh on the senior you know i mean in invicta she had um she had won the title i believe it was down at atom weight um yeah she was the atom weight champion her victory over Naho sugiyama was probably one of the most beautiful uh, uh, triangle choke finishes I've ever seen. You know, back in 2012, I was only a fan of MMA for about three to four years at that point in time. And the way that she set up that choke was probably one of the best that I've ever seen. So if you have access to UFC Fight Pass, I would highly suggest you guys go back and watch that finish. But it was a, definitely a thing of beauty, uh, the way she was able to lock that up. Next time around, she goes out there and gets armbarred by Michelle Watterson, which is when Michelle Watterson becomes the Adam weight champion and starts making a legacy of her own. After that we see uh, Jessica Penny win one more fight as uh, I believe she was like a minus 1600 favorite and that fight absolutely crazy that her odds were that high Uh, and then she goes on to the the ultimate fighter where she ends up losing to um, Carla Esparza I believe in the second or third round uh, of the tournament of the actual show but she does still end up making it to the UFC, beating Rana Marcos on the finale and then going on that three-fight skid like I was talking about. I still think that she's very skilled, right? I think she has great jiu-jitsu, her Muay Thai clinch is pretty underrated, and she does have decent striking from the outside, but that Danielle Taylor fight really leaves a lot to be desired. Now, Hannah Goldie, on the other hand, we're talking about a fighter that only had six fights. She's 28 years old, Whereas Jessica Penny is 38 at this time, and she has 17 fights, so we're talking about over three times the amount of experience, but even Hannah Goldie hasn't been in the cage for a long time either. The last time we saw Hannah Goldie in the cage, she lost a, uh, a, a unanimous decision to uh, uh, fuck Miranda Granger, uh, and that was August of 2019, the same night that, um, the same night that Kobe Covington actually be Robbie Lawler, and that was what set him up for that title shot against Kamar Usman. She's had numerous amounts of injuries. She had to just keep, uh, you know, listening to the doctors, and they kept pulling her out of fights. And unfortunately, she just wasn't able to stay active enough. You know, Just following IG though, she seems like a woman that just stays fit, stays in shape, always stays training. And it seemed like she was getting sent out to the UFC PI more often than not to really just get her body checked out to clear her and make sure that she was good to go. Luckily for her, just like Jessica Penne coming back after a pretty lengthy layoff, they're able to go back in there. And I think this is a great matchup in terms of getting two fighters that are coming off of a significant layoff. Obviously Jessica Penny even longer than Hannah Goldie, but at least this is a good way for them to go out there and get their feet wet once again i'm hoping that if jessica penny loses this fight they give her at least one more shot because that would be her fourth straight loss in a row whereas hannah goldie she's only coming off a one fight losing streak and not to mention it's not even a streak now that i'm talking about it it was her first ever loss period you know miranda granger did a good job of keeping the the fight at distance and really getting her shots off and even you know damaging her to the point of getting a a hematoma to start growing out of the head of uh, hannah goldie uh, i believe in the late first round or early second round but it was just a lot of hannah goldie kind of you Know staying on the outside and not really doing the best in terms of closing the distance and getting your shots off, and that's what made her successful in that Callie Robbins fight on the contender series where she was the one kind of getting pushed backwards, but when she felt confident enough, she was the one crashing forward, throwing her combinations, and then getting back out of range. She does have a nice little flip front kick that she does where she just you know, there's no real wind up, she gets it going from her front leg, uh, even when she's backing up, she just flicks it out there. Kind of like a, a karate kick, but, it, it, you know, it's very effective. It keeps her opponents away from her. Uh, and then whenever she wants to go in there and close the distance and get it going, she's able to do so as well. Um the the reach disadvantage here we got a six inch height or sorry we got a six inch reach advantage for Jessica Pena as well as a one inch height advantage for Jessica Pena but man Hannah Goldie's got that Sean Shirk approach where she just doesn't have the, the greatest amount of reach but she still makes do with it right she she's still going out there and has a 5 and one record her first time ever MMA fight was against Jillian Robertson who had her first ever MMA fight against her as well this took place at Allen fights and uh you know since then they actually became. Tra- Training partners uh if you guys check over the ig there are numerous times where you see hannah goldie training with her uh at fusion excel obviously and jillian robertson down in the florida area as well uh so it's good that they've made a relationship out of that i'm not sure how often they're training together but i'm sure she really wanted to get jillian in there to really help her with the uh the jujitsu that she'll probably be feeling here from jessica peña um yeah i, I It's funny that they're also fighting on the same card here. I feel like Jessica Pena's best path to victory here is just clinch up as much as possible or just stay completely out and try to pick her apart from the outside. But that's not really Jessica Pena's game, right? Like if she was able to do that, she would have beaten a girl like uh, Danielle Taylor. Whenever they did clinch up and get into those like clinch exchanges, we saw Pena really have some success with landing some good knees, but it just wasn't enough. I think her success will come on the ground. If she's able to drag this fight to the ground, similar to how Callie Robbins was able to, the only unfortunate part about the Robbins fight was that Callie always got the takedowns later in the round, like with 40 seconds left, with 30 seconds left. She couldn't really get much going on from there. Whereas Jessica Pena, I think she's very good at her jujitsu. that if she is successful in getting this fight down with like maybe a minute and a half or two minutes left, she could really start threatening Hannah Goldie passing guard or even getting her back and probably sinking in a choke as well. So I do lean the Jessica Pena side of things here. I, I think that she does have the chops to go out there and win this fight. Um, I'm just not the most confident, and it completely shows on the on the betting line here. Uh, I will take Pena. I, I think she'll win by by decision, by uh, you know locking up uh, Goldie and and trying to drag this fight to the ground. You know hitting sweeps. Whatever it is, but we do gotta remember that Goldie is a very, very strong individual. She's a just an absolute unit, probably the most stacked woman I've ever seen uh, when it comes to muscularity and 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 just just pure raw strength. Uh, so Pena is gonna have to to deal with that for sure. But I think she'll be successful in getting this fight to the ground again. Coming from Alliance MMA with Eric Del Fiero and a great training camp behind you, I'm sure they have a great game plan to go out there and try to uh, you know put it on Goldie and especially try to get that submission. But I think ultimately it's gonna come down to a decision. And we see Jessica Pena go out there, grind this fight out, land some good shots on the outside, uh, stay away from the big power of Hannah, and then, uh, you know, again, wrap her up, try to get this into the grappling realm, and truly show off your jiu-jitsu. So I'll go with Jessica Pena here to win this fight via decision. Alonzo Menafield versus William Knight. And this fight is pretty much a pick-em. We do see uh, Alonzo Menafield as a slight favorite on most of these uh, bookies as well too but no higher than like minus 115 minus 120 so let's start off on the Alonzo Menafield side who's coming off a two uh two fight losing streak both of those being his only ever losses in his career and uh, definitely a wake-up call that he required especially getting away with the ways he's been winning in his prior fights right the Deshaun Boatwright fight I believe that was an eight second fight uh Vinicius Mohea, the guy had nothing to give to him on the feet uh and uh, Alonzo Menafield was able to make him pay and get the knockout there Paul Craig same thing I was able to get him out of there relatively quickly now the the devin clark fight you know a lot of people expected uh, menafield to go in there as a minus 230 favor and absolutely starch uh, clark but clark did a good job of you know keeping this fight in the clinch areas keeping this fight you know skin to skin so that menafield couldn't really get his shots off and then by the time uh, menafield you know um you know got into the third round most of the energy and pop was really off of his shots Whereas, uh, you know, Devin Clark continued to move forward, uh, kept the pressure on him, uh, and, and did really, really good work. Uh, you do have to give Menafield some props in that fight, though. We did see him keep the fight on the feet for the most part, shock off a, a, a bunch of takedowns, uh, and Devin Clark was just left, you know, trying to pr- pretty much clinch-fuck him and get a bunch of control time and win the fight that way. And he was successful in doing so. Against Hovind St. Preux, we just saw Menafield show, you know, it, it, was, it was a tough fight. We saw osp you know pretty much on his bicycle the entire time i was happy to catch osp in that fight at that plus 140 range but uh, we saw osp continuously moving even though uh alon's was the one moving forward for the most part but we saw him ripping that kick up the body you know what i mean and from that southpaw stance we saw osp just absolute butcher the body of alon's Menafield with that front kick up the middle and it was landing pretty much at all times in that second round there's an instance where there was like 15 or 16 unanswered strikes from osp uh you know against uh where he just kept ripping the body and Menefield just didn't know how to close the distance didn't really know how to put his punches together and seemed quite lost out there and that's very unfortunate to see from a guy especially from Fortis MMA under the tutelage of Safe Sayud as you believe uh, somebody like that would be able to you know have a plan B if things really weren't going their way but you know it could have been the cardio it could have been the fact that Menefield just really didn't know how to close that uh, distance uh, effectively and those body shots were definitely adding up so you don't want to take too much away from those as well too. Now Menafield we know his game right He moves forward he likes to throw bombs And more often than not his opponents fall before him But when they're not Things get a little bit sketchy As we saw in his last two fights uh, Against Clark and OSP right uh, Also talk about a beautiful counter From OSP To put uh, Menafield's lights out Beautiful beautiful finish there from OSP Now William Knight on the other hand We're talking about a fighter that's 9-1 and one. His only losses is to Tafan Nchukwi Who's in the UFC now as well Um you know, almost a similar style where he was just going out there and absolutely battering these guys on the feet, you know, showing that he could still finish guys later in fights too. I believe the Rocky Edwards fight is one that went into the third round, still got to finish there. But that second round was pretty much an entire stalemate. As just saw Rocky Edwards on the back of William Knight and William Knight just holding on for dear life with uh on that one arm of rocky edwards pretty much keeping his stalemate. no damage done no real work being done from either guy so we saw william knight come out in that second round second round and look much better look cleaner and crisper and landing the, the a beautiful one to to drop uh, rocky edwards on his butt then we saw william knight come into the uh, cody brundage fight that was the contender series fight and uh brundage gets the t- takedown gets his back almost immediately and we see a similar thing like we saw in the rocky edwards fight we saw William Knight just holding onto that arm and uh, Cody just could not get it out. The uh, um, the referee, or sorry, Cody eventually uh, tries to move, uh, especially from the, 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 the instigation from Herb Dean in terms of threatening him that he's going to uh, put them back on the feet. And then we see William Knight take advantage of that of that transition, uh, get back to his feet and then Brand is right back in on a takedown. And we see William Knight ring down those Travis Brown style elbows and get the finish uh, there. The Alexa Camor fight, that was a very solid fight and a good showcase that we saw from William Knight. And that's the type of fighter... Or that's the type of fight I want to see from guys like a Tom Aspinall, right? I, I was kind of shitting on Aspinall the other week, saying that we've never seen him in the second and third round have solid cardio. Then he goes out there and pre- proceeds to finish Sharlovsky within the first minute of that second round. But it still doesn't answer my questions, which seem like uh, Tom Aspinall slowing down a little bit in that in that first round, and I'd like to still see how he looks in round two and round three, whereas William Knight, we've seen him, you know, in a grueling fight, uh, a clinch-heavy fight, both guys wearing on each other in the cage, but in that second round, we saw William Knight land a beautiful takedown, beautiful trip takedown, in the third round, same thing, saw him land a beautiful trip takedown, and then doing some good work from on top, maintaining that position. Will he be able to get Alonzo Menafield down? I'm a little bit skeptical about that, not 100% sure, you know, I mean, given the fact that Devin Clark couldn't get Menafield down, now hold him down. Um, I'm not sure if white, sorry, knight will be able to do the same thing. Uh, I do think though if that if this fight does play out in the uh, in the grappling and clinching round for the most part, I gotta get I gotta give the slight advantage to William Knight. I feel like he'll he'll have more power and he'll have more uh, cardio as well too to at least last the, last those three rounds and uh, really just continue to put the pressure on William Knight on on Alonzo menafield Now a lot of people might you know say okay. This fight, take the under one and a half, somebody's going to go to sleep. But we often see when two guys that have heavy power go up against each other, that sometimes they just stalemate. And, uh, you know, one guy might just control the clinch realm and the grappling realm, and they end up winning a decision victory, right? similar instances as of late that come to mind is like Marcin Prakneo versus uh, Khalil Roundtree, uh, Michelle Pereira versus Chaos Williams. Like it doesn't necessarily mean that both guys that are knockout artists are going to go in there and try to knock each other out. There's got to be a level of respect from both sides and both guys might be like, okay, I don't want to get knocked out, but I do want to play this fight as safe as possible. And from what I've seen in the cage thus far, I would have to lean the William Knight side of things because he seems a little bit more uh aggressive when it comes to the clinch game we've seen him do some good damage from on top that is if he's able to get menafield to the ground I think the later this fight goes obviously it's more live for Knight to get him to the ground um but yeah I, I lean knight in terms of power it's almost a wash um and uh yeah explosiveness is on both guys here size is slightly on the Menafield side who's uh two inches taller or sorry three inches taller uh william knight uh three inch reach disadvantage as well yeah i'm I'm on the i'm on the william knight side here but i just don't see myself playing it like if we get a crazy number on the over one and a half i'd probably look at that but outside of that, that this fight I'm I'm gonna stay away from. Maybe on DraftKings it might be a solid play on either side, considering there there could potentially be a knockout. But I would not be entirely surprised if we see this fight go fifteen minutes. So maybe even looking at that fight goes to decision line might be something to look at. But uh, I I do like Knight here. I think he'll be able to control the positions more. I think his uh, his chin and durability will hold up, and um you know I think Menafield is truly one of those guys that will be knockout or bust every time out and uh, i think that william knight will just have more in the tank at this point in time and has definitely showcased more to us uh in his past fights so i'll go on the william knight side of things uh again though i will say if he does end up on his back things could get a little bit iffy but i'm not entirely sure or sold on what the top game of bennefield is like and if he will truly even be able to hold a guy like william knight down uh we we did see William Knight uh, get held down by Jamel Jones but that guy was definitely a weight class above took that fight on short notice and uh, was holding down William Knight pretty easily and then once we saw the next round start we saw uh Jamel just absolutely gas out. Uh, William Knight landed a bunch of bombs and uh Jamel actually absolutely tapped down in that fight so durability longevity cardio i lean William Knight and I think that's all, like that main X factor is going to be all it takes for the guy uh, to get their hand raised. So I'll be going with William Knight and I'll go with, oh man, I'm going to say decision. I can't believe I'm saying it, especially for a fight like this, but I'm going to say decision because I think that we'll see this fight play out. Similar to the Alexa Kamore fight, where we see these guys just clinch up time and time again. Uh, nobody gets a real shot off enough that will knock the other guy out um, and maybe see William Knight uh, get this fight through down. The only thing that gives me pause is the fact that Devin Clark wasn't able to get the takedown. uh, But we'll see what kind of game that William Knight's able to bring here and if he's able to get Menafield to the ground. So I'll go with uh, William Knight to win this fight via decision. Kama Worthy versus Jamie Malarkey. We got minus 130 on Kama and plus 110. On malarkey let's start off on the Worthy side of things who's coming off a loss to Otman Azaitar where he got put out in that first round had to deal with the big power of Azaitar and unfortunately crumbled and uh succumbed to a, a KO loss there that was his seventh loss in his 23 fight career uh and obviously it was obviously on the biggest stage of his career uh in his third fight in the UFC after coming off of two very impressive uh uh, victories where he was a plus six fifty underdog against Devontae Smith, goes in there and charges him relatively quickly and then submits Luis Peña. I believe that fight ended in the third round, uh, but he was a plus two fifteen underdog in that fight as well. Um and then obviously in the azatar fight he comes in as a slight underdog and loses that fight. In this fight, however, he is a very slight a favorite. Um, you know, he has great uh rest uh, sorry great striking, uh usually more of a counter striker than anything, has a very high and tight guard. And he usually waits for his opponents to kind of strike and then he gets the striking going. Uh, unfortunately for him, in the Azatar fight, he let his strikes go first, and Azatar was the one that was countering and then ultimately landed the strike that, uh, you know, started to wobble, comma. Kama goes down, and we see uh, a Zaitar follow up with a bunch of strikes and get the finish uh, there. So beautiful finish from a Zaitar, and I believe that was a card where I actually cashed that round one prop on a Zaitar. I think it was plus three fifty or something like that. Absolutely crazy considering the amount of first round finishes that a Zaitar has. But we're talking about Kama worthy here. So even dating back to his regional days, the the one reason I kept fading him, well, obviously not in the Devonte Smith spot because I'm not going to be playing a minus one thousand favorite, but I did have Luis Pena as a pretty heavy favorite in that fo- in that fight because I thought it was going to be a pretty easy fight for him you know when you look back at his fight against I believe the kid's name is Johnny Munoz a guy who was completely undersized a little bit out of shape could have probably fought a weight class or two below Um, you saw him get Kama Worthy down over and over again without much uh, resistance and then obviously uh, we see Kama start to stuff the takedowns later in the fight and then eventually pull away with the decision victory Um, even in the ward fight giving up a couple takedowns gets back to his feet and then knocks his opponent out but it was his takedown defense that was pretty much lacking that led me to believe that Luis Pena would be able to get him down time and time again. Just like he did in the second round and really grinding him out there. And then unfortunately in that third round just, I don't know, whether it was an adrenaline dump, gas tank dump, whatever it was. Uh, we saw him give up a guillotine choke there to Kama Worthy. Uh, but I still believe that Worthy has those uh, flaws in his game. And a guy like Jamie Malarkey, who's kind of like a jack of all trades, but you know, middle of the pack uh, in all of those traits... Um, could still go out there and beat a guy like Jamie, you know, or sorry, like Kama. Jamie has decent striking. He does a good enough job in terms of blending his strikes with his grappling and his takedowns, just as we saw in the Forest Zium fight. And even though he came up on the losing end there, pretty much everybody had that fight for jamie malarkey myself included uh especially that third round i think that's the one that i truly came down to and i believe there was over 78 to 79 percent of votes on mma decisions for jamie malarkey to win that third round which means he should have won the entire fight unfortunately for him zium comes out on the winning end but we did see some good things from jamie there you know again mixing up his strikes with his takedowns which i think is going to be very important for him here against kama I think that we see a very good chin and uh, solid durability from Jamie, especially in that fight against Brad Riddell, where it was just an absolute slugfest and an absolute war. I believe he got dropped only one time in that fight, but throughout it showed great durability against a very heavy-handed Brad Riddell, who had some solid power going into that fight. Um, I believe Jamie has been finished twice before in his career via strikes, uh, but as of late, his durability has definitely held up for him. I think that this is a solid spot for him to go out there and grind out out a decision victory over Kama Worthy. But that could also be my own uh, subconscious bias uh, in terms of not being a big fan of Kama Worthy. I don't think the guy is like super skilled again I'll, I'll say that his striking looks good and you know he did a good job of getting back to his feet uh in some of his fights in the past but i feel like Jimmy malarkey will have a good uh, will do a good job of uh just controlling this fight up against the cage dragging into the ground and then even adding that uh that uh dan kelly judo to his uh repertoire i think that he'll be able to uh you know mix in a couple of those hip tosses and get this fight to the ground and really grind out uh Kama. so i do lean malarkey here i think he's the better overall fighter as long as his durability holds up I feel like he'll put the pressure on kama really push him up against the cage drag the fight to the ground accrue a bunch of control time and at plus money you kind of got a uh, you know the guy that um seems to have an all-around game even though he's coming off of a two-fight losing streak and you know Worthy is only coming off of a first round knockout loss I still feel like, uh, you know, let's take recency bias out of it. Let's wipe this slate clean in terms of what they've been coming off of. And I feel like you got to lean uh, Jamie Malarkey here due to his ability to just mix up the MMA game much better than uh, Kama Worthy. So yeah, I do like Malarkey here. Uh, you know, I think he's a solid dog spot. I think he could drag this fight to the ground and really and give Kama some troubles. The longer this fight stays on the feet, though, and at range, I think that Kamo will have the advantage. But I feel like, given what we've seen in the Jamie Malarkey fight against Faraz Yem. Uh, he should be able to close the distance and really get his game going. Again, I believe it was in judging that gave uh, round three to ZM in their fight. So it truly should have been a Malarkey victory after that. But I hope that we don't get that type of uh, bad judging this time around. I think we see him at least two, take two rounds here by taking Kama Worthy down time and time again and really uh, accruing control time. And hopefully his durability holds up because Kama definitely can crack. I'll give him that. But again, I just don't think he's the greatest all-around fighter, which is why I do favor Malarkey here and I'll take him to win this fight via decision. Jillian Robertson versus Miranda Maverick. We got plus 120 on the Canadian Jillian Robertson and plus, or sorry, minus 140 on Fear the Maverick, Miranda Maverick. Um, We'll start off with the Jillian Robertson side of things where she's coming off a decision loss to Tyler Santos who just clearly showed she was a stronger woman and she was able to stay out of the submissions of uh, Jillian Robertson. And I feel really bad for Jillian because there were some very near submission attempts where she was throwing up arm bars, throwing up triangles, but it seemed like she was just in a bad position, like being up against the cage and not really able to fully extend. And then also, uh, you know, getting these near submissions near the ending of the round and not really getting the extra maybe 15, 20 or 30 seconds that she needed to complete those. Um, she's coming off, of, before that, she was coming off with of two wins over Courtney Casey and Poliana Botelho, submitting one and going to a decision with the other. Um, and those were two fights where I actually took the under two and a half as well. And uh, more often than not, these Jillian Robertson under two and a halves are the spots that I'd like to 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 look at. And this, this fight is no different. Uh, and the Casey one, it came a little bit too late. I think it was a minute and a half too late where she ended up locking up the submission and then the Poliana botelio fight you know that was a fight where we saw Jillian Robertson with the top control for the majority of that fight but we just didn't see Poliana do anything to try to get back to her feet I, or it might have been the other way around but regardless we just didn't see the urgency from Botelio in terms of trying to get back to the feet uh, which you know usually opens up the submission paths for Jillian Robertson so Jillian just pretty much won that fight off of control Uh, We saw her get pretty much laced up by uh, Macy Barber. She wasn't successful in getting that fight to the ground long enough to pull off a a submission. And we know the striking game of Robertson is very, very much lacking. And then obviously the fight before that, she mounted Sarah Froto and got a beautiful KO uh, via ground and pound there. That's pretty much Jillian Robertson's game, though. She's diving for uh, takedown. She's going for the single leg. And I think that's pretty much, uh, you know, what her game is is based around. And it's very easy to prepare for a woman like Jillian Robertson. Just work that takedown defense as much as possible. And then obviously work the jujitsu as much as possible to stay out of that that funky and powerful and offensive style of Jillian Robertson when it comes to the grappling realm. She really needs to work on her hands though as I feel that if she works on her hands more she can kind of start to trick her opponents into thinking okay maybe she's going to want to be a striker for this round or something like that and that's where she's able to open up the takedown opportunities for herself but she's just fighting so often that it doesn't seem like she's truly evolving the rest of her game like it's just always I'm going to go in there with the same game plan which is try to take you down or pull guard or whatever it is get this into the grappling realm and try to pull off a submission. I wonder how long that's going to work for her, though. You know what I mean? Like, she's 3-2 and two in her last five fights. Okay, that's cool. But if she's just not able to evolve, like, how is she going to continue to beat other women in this division? Like, this is a 125-pound division. You're going up against Valentina Shevchenko if you find yourself at the top of this division. You really think Shevchenko is going to succumb to a style like that? Probably not it does lead to very entertaining fights as Robertson normally, you know, goes out there and gets the win or, or goes out there and goes out on her shield. And, you know, in that fight against Tyler Santos, she was just absolutely outmuscled and just couldn't pull off any type of submission in that fight. Um, her striking is pretty much just laid down to, I'm going to flash a couple of strikes out there, you know, try to faint a couple times, change levels on you a couple times, but at the end of the day, The thing that I'm going to put 100% into is that takedown and then eventually the offensive jujitsu, which is our game. Now, on the other side, you got Miranda Maverick, who's 23 years old. Uh, I believe she's studying for her PhD or a master's or something like that. So she's a part-time uh, student, part-time uh, fighter. But when you see her every single time out, she's making improvements. And I think that's very key here as she's still very young. And even though some people might bank on the fact that, okay, she's a student, so she might not be as focused on the, on the fighting game but the fighting game allows her to pay for her studies which is why she's so focused on the study or uh, the fighting aspect of as well, uh, as well too so it's pretty much based on what you perceive their perspective to be and you can listen to fighter interviews and say okay you know this is what she thinks but like you always have to take these fighter interviews with a grain of salt for sure so Miranda Maverick, she's coming on a four-fight winning streak right now. That's not including her Phoenix Series fights that she had with Invicta. Obviously, those are just exhibition fights. They do these one-night tournaments where these fights don't officially count unless you until you fight your final fight. So I'm not even taking those fights into consideration. But her last fight, she did K or win via Dr. Stoppage uh, against Liana Jojo, where she landed a beautiful step in elbow, upward elbow, I believe it was, landed right on the nose of Liana and just busted her upper immediately. It just that cut just would not stop bleeding. Now, could that fight have gone on longer? Yeah. Even Liana Jojo herself wanted to be like, hey, I can still fight. It's just a cut. You know, I mean, we've seen much worse cuts and much, uh, you know, in much worse spots and the referee still allows them to fight. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if it had anything to do with the fact that you know, as a woman, and I, you know, hate to be sexist or anything like that, but I feel as though they do cater a little bit more towards the women in terms of the amount of damage that they're taking. Regardless, beautiful beautiful performance from Miranda Maverick on the feet. She showed great uh, and improved Muay Thai. Uh, Her striking just looked on point. Her step and elbows were beautiful, Uh, and then in the fight before that, it was her Invicta fight against Pearl Gonzalez, where she came in as a very slight underdog, uh, but still went out there and uh, did, did some good work. You know what I mean? She she was able to keep up with the transitions from Pro Gonzalez, do some good work from on top, land some good damage from on top, uh, you know, have some solid success with the striking as well, too. Um, but I think this is a girl that we're going to see an evolution from every single time out. Now, I'm not the most, you know uh keen on going out there and betting her at that minus 140 range but i do think this is a fight where she could outpower uh uh jillian robertson i think robertson will obviously have the jiu-jitsu advantage here that's without a doubt and i do think that she would be successful in getting miranda maverick down but then it comes into the parts where like how much does the strength play into it and how much does the improvements of miranda maverick change the trajectory of this fight Now, the parts that I see where we will see Maverick have success is obviously the striking. So if she's able to keep it there, that's where she'll have the most amount of success. But I do think she is live for a finish. I think both women are live for a finish here. That's why I'm probably going to go back to the well of betting a Jillian Robertson under here. We got plus 150, which is a solid enough line for me to take the shot, considering that both women are very live for a finish, whether it's a submission on either side or even a ground and pound from the Miranda Maverick side. Or if this fight stays on the feet long enough, that Miranda Maverick is able to get her paws on her, land some good strikes, land some good kicks, land some good elbows, and eventually just put away Jillian Robertson on the feet. So I'll I'll, I'll side with Miranda Maverick and I'll side with the under two and a half, which I think is very, very live. Uh, but I think that Moravik's, Maverick's strength is going to be a little bit too much for Robertson, uh, and she might be able to catch her in these bad positions and just start unloading on her with some ground and pound. And I think that's a very, very live spot here as well, too. So. I'll go with Maverick. I'll go with uh, KO or Ground and Pound. Um, I don't know whether Round 1 or Round 2, but just for the sake of it, let's try to keep the trend of Round 2 women's finishes that I'm calling. Uh, So I would say Round 2, Miranda Maverick uh, wins this fight either by Ground and Pound or just striking on the feet. Uh, So once again, I'll go with Miranda Maverick via KO, Ground and Pound, whatever you want to call it. Sean O'Malley versus Thomas Almeida. We got minus 320 on the perennial favorite Sean O'Malley and then we got plus 260 coming back on the veteran Thomas Almeida. Let's start off on the Sean O'Malley side of things where he's coming off a loss to Marlon Vera in a fight where he started off pretty well. You know what I mean? We got the classic Sean O'Malley getting his kicks out there, getting his punches out there, but Marlon Vera is a notorious slow starter. So it definitely makes sense as to why Sean O'Malley was able to have as much success as he did in that first fight or in the first couple minutes of that fight then we see Sean O'Malley hurt his leg and that's when we see Marlon Vera notice that uh, Sean O'Malley hurt his leg and that's when you see Marlon Vera really start to, to turn it on and put it on to Sean O'Malley and it's just very unfortunate right Sean O'Malley super talented kid you know you may not want to agree with what he does outside of the cage or what he says outside of the cage but the guy definitely has some skills inside the cage and he has great fight iq inside the cage too right he's able to set up traps just like he did against um uh eddie Wineland, right i mean if you guys remember that like fake uppercut that he got eddie Wineland to eddie wyland to wince on and then he comes over with another strike and puts him out that way like it's just amazing the uh, the things that he's able to do inside the cage when he's truly at a hundred percent you know, uh, even as Canonas uh, finished, right? He wasn't truly impressed with himself. as you believe that Canonas was probably already defeated coming into the cage in that spot. And who, you know, who could be mad at that? He was a minus 290 favorite going into that fight. Then he was a minus 580 favorite going into the Eddie Weinlein fight. Minus 280 favorite once again, going into the Marlon Vera fight. Now here he is against uh, Thomas Almeida as a minus 320 favorite. And I gotta say, if Thomas Almeida even gives us like 80% of what he used to be, this is probably the first or second hardest fight on Sean, in Sean O'Malley's career at least as of late in the UFC. Um, again what Matt O'Malley does great right he sets up traps his uh, striking is good his kicks are definitely very good too he's very fast his agility is definitely one of his uh, strong suits and I believe his ability to get in and out of uh, exchanges truly helps him to be very successful especially when knocking guys out uh, and, and cashing those bonuses. Uh, Thomas Almeida on the other hand you guys remember him from like You know his heyday when he's like flying knee knocking out brad pickett and just having these great performances picking these guys apart with his muay thai and then finishing them then he starts running into rough times right he gets a headlining spot against cory garbrandt as a minus 200 favorite this is cory garbrandt pre you know bantamweight champion He goes into that uh, Garbrandt fight as a minus 200 favorite, gets knocked out. Then he goes out there, redeems himself as a minus 300 favorite against Albert Morales and gets the victory there via uh, KO. Beautiful finish from there. Then he goes on a three-fight losing streak. Um, Loses a decision to uh, Jimmy Rivera as a plus 160 dog. You got to let that one slide. Uh, Gets knocked out by Rob Font, which right now doesn't look the worst, right? You got Rob Font going out there, uh, headlining a fight. trying to remember who he's headlining against but he has a a big fight coming up as well where he's uh where he's the headliner so not too bad of a loss to rob font there and then most recently the uh the jonathan martinez fight where he gets uh uh pretty much picked apart over three rounds and that was his first fight after a lengthy layoff where he had numerous eye eye surgeries as well to just correct some issues that were going on in there. So you got to give him props for once for one getting back into the cage after you know of uh, an injury that was potentially harming the vision in his eye, and two going in there against a guy like Jonathan Martinez, who even though he just got knocked out by David Grant, is still a very dangerous opponent. You know Thomas Almeida it seemed like he was very hesitant to close the distance. It almost seemed like he was a little bit too scared to get hit in the eye, and like you know that jab was really stinging Thomas Almeida and keeping him on the outside which didn't really let him uh, close the distance and get his own game going and that's another thing that he's gonna have to do here with uh, Sean O'Malley who has a four inch height advantage as well as a two inch reach advantage but I think the kicks and the jab are truly gonna cause uh, Thomas Almeida some issues here I think if we see a little bit of Almeida like old school Almeida where he's actually ripping kicks and he doesn't really matter or doesn't really mind what's coming back his way we could see him have some success here but it's just so hard to truly uh you know invest in him even as a plus 260 dog you know, he—it's really tough. I feel like this is a solid spot for O'Malley to go out there and and kind of redeem himself and kind of just you know um, you know put on one of those classic Sean O'Malley performances. And that's really hard to say, especially for a guy like Thomas Almeida, you know, who's only twenty nine years old. It's not like he's a—he's challenging Father Time or anything at this point. It's just his durability seems to be taking a little bit of a hit, as well as uh, you know, just his last showing was just not the most uh, pleasant. You got to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Coming after such a long layoff and the injuries and all that type of stuff. So let's just say that, okay, let's chalk that up to him trying to get his feet wet again. But, But even still, right? Like, yeah, I think this is a tough one where Sean O'Malley will be the faster one, probably hits heavier too, and will probably really put it on him once this fight really starts gets going um i want to give a shout out to my guy rockstar z here who's probably taking the best approach right uh you take the fight doesn't go to decision you take the fight doesn't start round three if this fight uh if the total was set out uh two and a half i'd probably be hitting the under two and a half here but they do have that one and a half and that always gives me a little bit of pause Um, but I think that this is a perfect matchup for O'Malley to just go out there. um, If he's able to, you know, check some of the kicks that I expect uh, Thomas to go out there and start throwing uh, and then just get his own game going, I think it's going to be a very short night for Thomas Almeida. So uh, with that said, I'm just not the most keen on going out there and betting a minus 320 in Sean O'Malley, who, again, this is probably his toughest test if we see even 80% of what Thomas Almeida used to be. And, uh, you know, who knows what the health and the, the... You know, the constant issues that O'Malley has with his leg. Like, it's not just a Sukum fight. It's not just a Vera fight. It even happened in his regional days. So, you you know, do you really want to invest minus 320 in a guy that could potentially just slump on over and be like, ah, my ankle, ah, my leg? I'm not really down to do that. Even his KO prop is like minus 105. That's not what I really want to be betting here. So, I would rather cover both outcomes here in case um, Amita does end up getting a finish or. O'Malley just ends up stubbing his foot again or some shit you know I mean I I, I like the uh I like the approach with the what the fight to not start round three uh which is minus 120 which is not too bad under two and a half which is minus one 150 it looks like I won a couple places minus 185 uh but the under one and a half is just so sketchy because again who knows if we need more than seven and a half minutes or not sometimes it takes guys a little bit longer to truly get comfortable in there and get their games going so i uh, i do like o'malley here i think he ends up getting the finish uh and i'll take him to win this fight actually by first round ko tyron woodley versus vicente Luque. we got minus 255 on Luque and plus plus a 215 on t wood tyron woodley let's start off on the woodley side who's coming off a little bit of a rough stretch where he's coming off with three straight losses now one where he lost his title against Kamaru Usman, then he lost to Gilbert Burns, and then he lost to Colby Covington. The last one he gets uh, a rib injury in the last round, uh, but uh, you know he loses that. That was in September of twenty twenty. Now here he is against a stylistically different matchup than he's had to go up against in his last three fights. He's getting an actual striker. Right, the last couple of times he's fought a striker, he darts, strokes dare until, um, you know, has that weird little two fights with uh, a one by Thompson, uh, knocks out Robbie Lawler. And, yeah, those are the main strikers that he's fought as of late. Vicente Luque is a little bit of a different striker than those guys, right? This guy's a great Muay Thai fighter, has great leg kicks, has great combinations. He's taken a ton of damage in his career, but he's never been knocked out in the UFC or, you know, I believe ever, to be honest. I just want to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure that's something that I've... Yeah, he's never been knocked out. And in terms of his knockdowns, he's only been knocked down twice, I believe, uh, while inside the UFC. Um, I do want to confirm that. So he's gotten knocked down by Wonderboy thompson and then he got knocked down by uh, Brian Barberena, and that was back in February of 2019. But, you know, since then, he's uh, gone out there and had victories over Derek Krantz, Mike Perry, uh, lost to Wonderboy Thompson, obviously, and then beats uh, Nico Price and... Um, uh Randy Brown and then Tyron Woodley is obviously just a much different opponent that he's had to face actually probably the best wrestler that he's faced to this point in time but then again when's the last time you've really seen Tyron Woodley use his wrestling to the best of his abilities right long gone are there strike force days where Tyron Woodley just takes his opponents down uh, time and time again and then just grinds them out or knocks them out on his feet uh with uh with the big power that he has in his hands but as of late you know and, and I think this is a This is a version of Tyron Woodley that's always been around, at least in the UFC, especially since he's won the title, is just find that big bomb or you're probably going to lose this fight, right? Outside of the Darren Till fight, but that's a fight that the finishing sequence started because he landed his big bomb. And if he's not able to land that big bomb, what's going to happen? More often than not, he gets grinded out, he gets decisioned, and that's where I could see happening in this fight against uh, Vicente Luque, but I think that there's a possibility of a finish from the Luque side, who's probably one of the more nasty strikers that he's fought in recent memory. Closest that comes to mind is Gilbert Burns, who rocked him and dropped him on, on numerous occasions in their fight. Right, Tyron Woodley just has this issue where he's low activity, keeps backing up. He has a great you know run in that first 60 seconds of the of the rounds, but then after that, it just goes back to, I'm going to continue to move by my back, on my back foot and telegraph my big shots. And then when that big shot comes, more often than his opponent see it, sees it coming, they get out of the way, they get their own combination going, and then we just rinse and repeat. Same thing for Tyron Woodley over and over again. I thought that the one time that we would see him kind of get away from that and actually really go for it was against Kobe covington right you have all this heat and animosity going into the fight you have all the reason in the world to go out there and decapitate this guy but he doesn't do it right he just doesn't do it what makes you think that he's going to do it against a guy like vicente Luque? you know maybe that now that he knows that his job is on the line um he is i just want to confirm his age he's 36 years old like he's really got to get it going sorry he's 38 years old he'll be 39 in april like He's really got to get it going if he wants to get any W's again, but I think if he loses this fight, it's probably the last one in the UFC for him, right? Dana White doesn't really have the greatest relationship with him. I'm sure they wouldn't mind taking, letting him go over to Bellator and continue doing his thing over there, and maybe rack up a couple of knockouts over there, but you know, with with Luke, he's going to have to deal with a ton of pressure. He's going to have to deal with a, a lot of different strikes coming his way. And even if he looks to take this fight to the ground, he's going to struggle to keep uh, Vicente Luke down, right? He's going to have a lot of uh, jujitsu to worry about. Uh, Vicente Luque has a pretty good get-up game as well. Um, yeah, this is a very tough stylistical matchup for Woodley. I'm kind of hoping that we'd get a better line on Luque as, as soon as this fight was announced. I'm like, oh, that's probably going to be my lock of the night play. But I do want to be a little bit cautious and wary of it, as Woodley does still have devastating power, that if he does land on the chin of Luke, he could definitely put him out and make it a lot of trouble. However, with that said, if you are looking at back Woodley here, just like Francis Ngano, do not leave any money on the table. Take Woodley. Uh, I wish I had the, the KO props available to us right now, but we don't. But Woodley inside the distance is plus 600. That's the spot that you want to take if you want to take any spot in this fight at all um at least on the woodley side with luke i think he's live for a finish himself or even just to win this fight by decision and decision is probably the way that i'll go with but there's just so much more to worry about on the luke side than on the woodley like in terms of the strikes that are going to be coming his way the pace that he pushes and you know the leg kicks that he throws out there and there's just so much for woodley to worry about it's just luke needs to mind his p's and q's he's got to make sure that he you know uh rolls with his shots sees the shots coming stays out of the way of the big shots and uh if he's able to do that i think he can do that over 15 minutes right again we're talking about a guy that's never been knocked out people want to continue to bang on his durability issues and all that but it's never really reared its ugly head yet right he's gotten knocked down a couple times but he's never been finished so um i feel like he has great awareness um, even when he is hurt, he's able to like really get the fight back into his, uh, into the swing of things, which is like getting his strikes going, clinching up with his opponent, whatever it may be. But Woodley, man, like his his cardio is too much of a concern, his inactivity is too much of a concern, and his reliance on that one punch knockout is just way too much of a concern to put uh serious money on his side so plus 600 by by inside the distance again probably a a solid line for woodley especially if you think that he's going to be motivated enough to go out there and really actually throw but he's been saying that for his last three fights and he just isn't able to do so so uh, yeah, I do like Luke here. I think he wins this fight via decision. Uh, I think this is a great stylistic matchup for him and a great name to get under his belt too, right? This is a guy in Luke who's just been around the game for so long. And whenever he's reached that pinnacle, he always kind of falls short. Wonderboy Thompson obviously being the last guy that, that comes to mind. But this Woodley fight is a very winnable fight for him. And I think this is a fight that we see him go out there and, and win pretty candidly. So I'll go with uh, Luke. I think he wins this fight via via decision. Uh, and, and this could possibly be the last fight of Woodley's these uh, UFC career, I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC goes out there and releases him after this. But I will go with Vicente to win this fight via decision. Time for the main event. We got the champion Stipe Miocic defending his title once again against Francis Ngannou for the second time. And I'm really looking forward to this fight to see if there's been improvements made on either side. I think there have been improvements on one side, but not so much on the other, at least that we've been able to see inside the cage. So we got minus 120 for Francis and Gunner. Just a reminder, he was minus 170 the first time they were scheduled to go up against each other, and we got the return on Stipe Miocic at plus 100 at this point in time. I think the best line you can currently get is that pinnacle at plus 107 at least at the reti- the time of this recording so let's start off on the champion side so he fights uh francis Nganu and then goes out there and has a trilogy with daniel cormier back to back to back to back where he's literally just going uh he loses to daniel cormier at ufc 226 wins the title back at ufc 241 and then uh defends the title once again at ufc 252 and we see a different type of style in every single fight right first one you see him go out there and get knocked out in the first round then the second fight you see him going out there and just getting out volumed and uh, you know dc was playing a very um sketchy game where you're just staying in front of his face and not really using his wrestling too much kind of just out pointing him uh you know out boxing him and just continuously going to the face uh and then you see Steve, i think somewhere in the third or fourth round he really just has this light bulb moment where he's like let me just start digging into the body and he does exactly that, and then he goes out there and eventually gets the finish over uh, uh, um, Danny Cormier in the fourth round. So beautiful adjustment there from the champion, championship adjustment, if I should say so myself. But very good performance from Stipe to to, to get his title back. And then uh, obviously the, fir- the 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 third fight goes all five rounds. DC has a decent first run, gets that on the judges' scorecards, and then the next four is just all Stipe. Steepa is doing a good job with his boxing, tying him up up against the cage and having some good dirty boxing moments, um, and just really not letting uh, uh, you know DC get his game going. He was just really out striking him. His boxing looks crisp, crisp. His movement looked good. Um, and yeah, he, he was really tagging DC with a lot of shots And DC couldn't just seem to get his game going And I believe in the third round he gets this really bad eye poke at the end of the round And it definitely affects him for the next two rounds Where he's not able to see out of that eye And, uh, you know, Miocic is just sliding him up on that side of his face Not saying if, you know, he hadn't gotten hit in his eye And, and poked in his eye that he would come back and win that fight Stapo was definitely taking over there And he did everything necessary to get his hand raised that night uh, But let's go back to the first fight in Stipe and Ngannou, right? Nobody expected it to go five rounds. It goes five rounds. We have an action-packed first round where, you know, uh, Stipe lands big shots and Francis lands big shots and Stipe makes it clear right off the bat that he wants to grapple in this fight. He doesn't want to stand with the power of Francis. Then again, who does, right? You're asking for trouble if you think that uh, Stipe is just going to stand there with you and hope that, um, you know, he, he's going to go uh punch for punch with you. That's just not going to happen. We got to credit Stipe though. There was a lot of instances in that fight where he got clipped big and he still managed to keep chugging forward and moving forward. So uh, I like the fact that he was able to take those shots and, uh, you know, really put it on Francis for the rest of that fight. A couple of good things that we saw from Stipe in that fight, a lot of great head movement, right? You see Francis uh, uh, punching out a bunch of air for the majority of that fight, and then Stipe was just finding the proper time for the entries to, you know, push him up against a cage, drag him to the ground, and the cardio really seemed to catch up to Francis in that second round, and then obviously third, fourth, and fifth round as well. Um, uh, another small uh, detail that uh, f- uh, um, Stipe did very well in that fight was when he did shoot, he shot onto the opposite side of the power hand of Francis. So whenever Francis was, you know, winging and ready to get ready for that uh, that, uh, that shot, it was coming from his power hand. But you see Stipe fade off to the other side and uh, go towards his weak hand. And uh, you see him kind of like... Just ever so slightly clips Stipe, uh, but it wasn't with the most force, which allowed Stipe to complete his takedowns and get in on the hips of Francis. It's those small little details that you need to be, you know, mindful of whenever you're fighting a heavy hitter like Francis and Gunner where your margin of error it needs to be very very small. Otherwise, you're going to be staring up at the lights. Um, I think Stipe actually has gotten better since that fight you know we we've seen him go out there and adjust on the fly against Daniel Cormier uh, go out there and beat Cormier over five rounds and you know a very methodical fight and his cardio looked great in all of those fights his cardio just did not look good in that first fight against uh, Francis which caused me to really fade him heavily when uh, Daniel Cormier fought him the first time. Obviously, cardio didn't really come into to to play there since the fight finished in the first round. Um, but we did see improved cardio from him in the uh, in the second and third fights, and I believe in this fight against Francis, we'll see that uh, improved cardio again and uh, possibly even get a finish here. Now I think we'll see him go out there and and you know really uh get his game going and and stay away from the big shots of francis because what have we really seen from francis to this point in time to make us believe that he's you know made changes as a fighter and gotten better as a fighter sure his approach in terms of fighting must have gotten different right like he changed he moved away from his gym in france i believe it was or his guy uh ferdinand i believe his last name is that was his main head coach in, in that fight but now he's gone over to Extreme Couture for the last couple of years, really engulfed himself with Eric Nixick. And they've, you know, uh, I'm sure they've made some improvements inside the cage uh, or inside the gym that we haven't seen in the cage because he just haven't hasn't been required to, to showcase it. Right. Since losing to Stipe, he had a loss to Derek Lewis, which was just a very unordinary fight for uh, Francis where we saw him, I think, only land 11 strikes, which is absolutely crazy. But then he knocks out uh, uh, Curtis Blades in 45 seconds, knocks out Cain uh, Velasquez in 26 seconds, knocks out Junior Dos Santos in a minute and 11 seconds, and then knocks out uh, Rosen strike in 20 seconds, uh, close to a year ago. So we don't see those improvements, right? He's just a go, go going out there, and the last image that we have of him is his knockout of Jairzino Rosa strike, where you see no technique, but just I'm gonna throw these lunch pails that I call fists, and I'm gonna try to knock you the fuck out. And that's exactly what he did. Jerzinho even landed a couple of strikes, and you see Francis like kind of like backing up and still trying to like throw his wingy shots while staying out of the way of Jerzino's uh, strikes. And um, you know, Jerzinho probably should have pivoted off that rather than just moving straight backwards and uh and he paid for it and Jazinho goes down like a sack of potatoes and we see uh francis get his hand raised once again Stepe was a completely different approach whenever we saw that bull rush from uh francis we saw him use his head movement very well stayed out of the way of the big shots um you know zigged definitely when he should have zigged and zagged when he should have zagged but this time around it could be you know he should have zigged when he zagged and that could be the end of the night for him so this is a very tough fight to call in terms of no matter what kind of approach that Stipe brings to this, he can't slip up at all. He can't make any mistakes. And that's what he did in the first fight. He made no mistakes, which is why he played uh, or pitched a perfect fight in that. You know, I mean, he was able to stay away from the big shots, and land some big shots of his own, and then really start to wear on Francis. But now that he knows what to expect when he's going in there with Francis, I think that we'll see a better game plan for him uh, later in this fight, not just holding Francis down. I think we'll see him actually work for that finish as well. So I uh, You know, again, Francis, uh, this is another thing, another storyline going into this. People are talking about Kamaru Usman is going to be in his corner. So that should be a big thing that we should focus on. If you guys actually watch the tape on the Junior Dos Santos fight, Kamaru Usman was in his corner there too. We saw the same fucking Francis Ngannou. You know, he threw a couple of leg kicks. Oh my God. Now, if he changes those leg kicks up to calf kicks, things can get really interesting. Because imagine the power that he's able to generate from his kicks. So if that's the approach that he starts to take with his opponents, then I think people are in trouble. But I don't know if we're going to see that, his grappling. How good can his grappling really get when you got a guy like Miocic who's been grappling for the majority of his life? So it's really tough to tell uh you know what what we're going to see from him in that aspect and then in terms of the cardio i just don't feel like francis is a guy that we're going to go out there and see have cardio better than seven and a half minutes given his style like is he really going to play a patient and wait for his openings and really get it going that way or is he going to have that adrenaline dump just as he did in the first fight where he's just winging these big shots and then when he's missing and throwing at air he's going to start huffing and puffing and we see stipe start to set up those takedowns again so I think that Francis's focus on getting the knockout may be his downfall. And I think that's what he thinks he's going to be able to do in this fight. I'd be very surprised to see him go out there and get a knockout. So if you are, or sorry, a, a decision victory. So if you are looking to back Francis Ngannou here, do not leave any money on the table. He's not winning this fight by decision. Take the KO prop. Either he wins by KO or, you know, he, he doesn't win at all. And this is uh, another thing that I want to bring up regarding about this matchup is it reminds me of uh, two heavy fights that we just had recently Derek Lewis versus Curtis Blades and Cyril Gunn versus Jerzinho Rosenstrike where you got a heavy hitter in both matchups who's more more than likely path to victory in those fights are knockouts and then you got other guys who are very good and very skilled in other aspects of MMA and are very dominant right you got Cyril who's such a great striker, so good at w- with his movement and able to get out of the way of those big shots of his opponents. And then you got Chris plays who's such a great wrestler. Um, but it just shows like they're one and one, right? You got the power puncher that wins one of them and you get the finesse guy that wins in the other. And this is almost the tiebreaker of seeing if the finesse guy and Stipe Miocic can stay away from the big power of Francis Ngannou and actually get his hand raised. I think that Stipe stays away from it. I don't think that he's slowed down as much as people might make it out to be. I think that he, you know, he's looked the best he's ever looked in his last couple of fights against the best opponent he's ever faced, in my opinion, who is Daniel Cormier. Uh, skillfully, skill wise, Daniel Cormier is the best guy that we've seen uh, Stipe go out there and beat handedly too, right, twice. He was down pretty big in those first, in that second round, uh, or that second fight, but then made the adjustments necessary and got the finish. And I can see him doing the same thing here against Francis. I think he gets a third round finish here. I think he stays away from the big power, mixes in his takedowns, continues with the head movement, continues with the smart entries on his takedowns, which is to the weekend. And we see him go out there and and ground and pound Francis probably in that third round. I I think the, the cardio dump that we saw from Stipe as well was more so... Uh, well he did uh, have a cardio dump just as Francis Ngannou did and which is why we saw such a slow paced fight for the third fourth and fifth rounds but I think this time around I think both guys know what they're going to expect you know Francis will blow his wad within a round and a half I think if he's not able to get the finish there we'll see Stipe start to grind him out and probably get a ground and pound finish Uh, I'd say third or fourth round but I do really like Stipe in this spot not 100% sure if I'll be laying the money, as as you guys already know, I'm taking a very cautious approach to my betting strategy now, which is just a lock that I play, a dog that I play, and with Stipe being a dog, it, it makes sense that he should be my dog that I play, but there are other plus money spots on this card that I'm going to be looking to target that aren't, that don't have Francis and Ngana staring across from them. So I'm still taking Stipe, I think he wins this fight, and I'll take him to win by third round, uh, third round TKO and he retains his title once again and continues his reign as one of the best heavyweight champions that we've ever had in the UFC. And those are the breakdowns Hope you guys enjoyed them. Hopefully, it can translate into some moolah this weekend. And if you guys enjoyed the show, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe. As well, check out the Patreon. That's the best way to support your boy. Five bucks a month. You guys get a ton of great talent. And not to mention the fact that I'm doing this thing full-time starting next week. There's going to be a ton more content on there for you guys to indulge in. And uh, a lot more looking ahead and future thoughts on, on future matchups. And I'm sure you guys will really enjoy it. So, like, subscribe. Check the Patreon as well. Good luck on your bets this weekend. And I'll see you guys throughout the week. We got Thursday propping you up with me and Cody on odds. 9 p.m. Eastern on Friday for the final weigh-in for me and the odds crew. And then Saturday, I'm right back here. 1 p.m. Eastern for a live stream. Uh, I believe I'm going to start calling that the Fight Day live chat. I'm not 100% sure yet. But the MMA LawCast Live now is on Tuesdays. And then Friday, I'll have to come up with the... Or sorry, Saturday, I'll have to come up with a new name for that show. But 1 p.m. Eastern, I'm not leaving that time slot. That is my time slot on Fight Days to help you guys get hyped and prepped for the fights that are coming up on that day. All right. See you guys throughout the week. Good luck on your bets sayonara